arguing against death, responding to Elizabeth Warren, and a story about nails. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. Today's going to be a bit of a different show because I want to have a heart to heart with you today. I am. Um, I want to share some personal stuff, and I want to share some stuff that's going on, And because quite honestly, the last couple of weeks of my life have been, I would say a roller coaster, but they haven't been, because it's mostly been downs, and I do a lot of self-reflecting on my life, and one of the things I do is that makes me different is when I give a a presentation or when I do a show, I'm always looking, how can I get better? How can I change an argument? How can I be more, you know, persuasive? I don't want to force you to think a certain way, but I want to, I want to make the most compelling case that I can. And situations over the last couple of weeks, and especially this week, have me going, what more can I say? I have actually come to a point where I don't know what to say in many cases. This week has been incredible. It's been an incredible, not in a good way. I I have been lost for words and so frustrated with how things have gone behind the scenes about some issues. And that's what I want to have a heart to heart with you about. I don't want to throw people under the bus. People will act the way they want. That's not my job. That's not my style. If you're a long-term listener, you know that. I'm not here to say, well, this is who it is. Get them. I just want to talk to you about the principles involved. And the principle involved, then the first thing I want to talk to you about is, is life. You know, I listen to, or actually, and truthfully, when it comes to the mainstream media, I read transcripts. But I listen to some of my Democratic friends who are so obsessed with Donald Trump right now. They are literally, for the last two plus years, have compared Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. What did Adolf Hitler do that the world frowned upon? What was Adolf Hitler's biggest crime? What was it? Was it invading Poland? Was it wanting to dominate Europe? Was it wanting to to create a superior race? Was it bringing German nationalism to the fold? What was it? Or was it that he deemed certain people unworthy of life? And he deemed them so unworthy of life that he put them into gas chambers. Why was Hitler so bad? Because if you ask me, that's my answer. 
Uh, why was Hitler so bad? Hello, six million Jews. Hi. You know, that's it. But I, I look at history. I read history about Soviet Russia. About how they had their own soldiers in Ukraine where they literally had their soldiers around where the crops were built, all around the farms. And they starved the Ukrainian people so much that the kids would run into these fields just to grab an apple or a piece of fruit. And if they got into the field and they got there, they were ordered to shoot them on sight. That's bad, right? Can we agree this is bad? You know, I, I grew up in Ireland. I grew up in Ireland. I live in Ireland. And Irish people love George Bernard Shaw. Oh, what a great man. He was a punk. Sir or madam, would you kindly justify your existence? That's his quote. Yet everyone who knows these will go, well, Hitler was bad, Soviet Russia was bad, George Bernard Shaw is a bad guy. But now let's fast forward to 2019. 2019. And I want to take this issue on two different subjects that happened this week. One that was close to me because I was involved behind the scenes. Of a young man in Arizona who had suffered... And went into a coma and was declared brain dead. And the doctors, in their infinite wisdom, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to starve this kid. He's brain dead. He has no life. And they starved him of water for 16 days and of food for 19 days. I got involved because I stand for life. I give life Every freaking opportunity to survive that it can. Because life is precious. Life is meaningful. I don't know what your purpose is, but regardless of who you are listening right now, where you've come from, your family situation, your job situation, your education, your background, your experience, your skills, your lack of skills, your education, your thought process, who the hell you voted for, I don't care. You have meaning. You count. You have a purpose. You're not here by chance. But I saw people today get involved in this. But John, this guy, he's... Look, is it sad what happened to him? Yeah, but he's brain dead. Let's talk about... Let's be compassionate. Let's just let him go. Really? So... If your mother says, you know what, I want to fight for his life. If his tribe says that. If the, by all accounts, by those people who know him best, say he would want that. Because the reason I say they're tribe, they weren't oh, the white man. You know, I'm sick and tired of so many people lecturing me about, well, oh, it's all whitey. Here you had white doctors in a white country let's use the liberal talking points you know america white superiority and and you know the, the the all the man and the capitalist and the white christians well here you had a catholic hospital filled presumably with some white doctors somewhere saying a native american should die screw their traditions and i had people saying well it's compassionate to do that really really would you feel the same way If I told you tomorrow something's going to happen to you and there's only a 1% chance you will live, would you want it? 
Would you want it? Even that isn't the right question, though. Because the question isn't, well, if I give you a 1% chance of living, would you want it? The real question is, because that's the question we all hide behind. And some people will go, well, if it's only a 1% chance, no, maybe not. Or it's the quality of living. I know I'm on the opposite. I'm on the same side as this, personally. Because we hide behind this. I've told people, hey, you know what? If I get cancer and it's really bad, I don't want chemo. I don't want radium. I saw what it did to my father and nope, I want no part of it. That's my personal decision. But we hide behind this, well, it's compassionate. You know, John, you, you know, those who know me would say, well, you're the same on cancer. The difference here, because here's the real question. If I said to you tomorrow, there's a, something will happen to you and there's a 1% chance you will live, do you want to be the person that makes that decision or do you want some bureaucrat making that decision? Because there, it comes down to me. I want to make that decision. Or I want my mother or my next of kin, or if I ever got married, them to make it. Because they presumably will know best and act in my best interests. But this doctor, where we don't even respect the Hippocratic Oath anymore of, first do no harm. I don't want someone who doesn't know me making that decision. So let's not hide behind the compassion argument. I had people this week when I was reaching out, and I don't hold this against them because I know everyone's busy and everyone has you know, their own cycle of things that's important. But as I was reaching out to someone, some people responded. And this wasn't the first time I had it. You know, look, I, that's a really sad story you just shared with me and the facts are really tragic. And I hope, you know, it's a positive ending. But, you know, this isn't really my issue. Okay. How is standing for life not your issue? I just don't get this. I'm sick and tired of being told by people in the media that have been pro-life. is just not worth the ratings. It's just not going to, you know, galvanize people. Well, by God, if what will? What will? Because there's another issue. I saw people as I was talking to people behind the scenes. And all they cared about was Winning. Well, I'll get involved if I if this happens. I'll get involved if, if I can think that it's likely we'll have a favourable outcome. Really? Is that where you're at? Winning? You'll only get involved if you think there's a good chance? Again, this is someone's life we're talking about. And we're focused on winning? Really? I may be an extremist, but when it comes to helping someone's life, I could give two craps about winning or losing. About my reputation. I care about helping someone and doing all I can. Because when it comes to life, I'm not, it's not a scoreboard. It's not like, hey, uh, you know, we'll use a baseball reference because baseball's happening in a couple of weeks. It's not like, hey, I got a home run there, isn't it great? I got to walk around the bases and everyone cheers. This is someone's life we're talking about. Standing for life? Is that not worth it? I saw people this weekend, I've seen it so many times. All they care about when they get involved in issues like this is it's all about them. I just want the light spotlight on me. I'll stand for this, but I want the spotlight all on me. It's all about me, 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 me. It's all about, hey, look what I'm doing, how great I am. It's all about, hey, you know, cozying up to the family. Hey, look how great I am. I'm here for you. 
Or pick me over them. Pick me. I'm better than them. Bashing someone else. Okay? They won't work. They suck at what they do. Come with me. We also have people who go, you know what? That's sad. Um, that's a real bad situation. But hey, I'm just keeping on with my life. We have real life and death situations happening right now. And so many are apathetic to it or ignorant of it or just don't care. And this is where I've been all week. How do you make people care? And I mean, I don't mean get you outraged. I don't mean get a story going viral. I don't mean, well, look at the left, look at the rice. I mean, actually talk about the principle. Look around at the world we live in today. If you happen to share any of my views on life, that, hey, you know what? Every life has meaning. That it is better to live in a really bad capacity than not to have lived at all. That it may be better to live with some, you know, medical problem, medical disease, maybe like Down syndrome, than not live at all. Or not to even have that choice. It is better to have an opportunity and to stand and give everyone an opportunity, regardless of where they are from, regardless of their background, regardless of their race, their sexuality. I'd be the the exact same if all of a sudden science came out, you know what we can do? We can go in and find out all the gay babies and abort them. I'd be like, no, but John, you're a Christian. I don't care. Life is precious. You know, we could find a gene where we go, you know what? We can find out who all the babies are going to be communists. And we'll get rid of them because, hey, we believe in freedom. No, all life has meaning. There is no baby you can say, well, what about this, John? No, all life matters. Whether it's young, whether it's old, whether it's in between, whether it's high good quality of living, bad quality of living, whatever. All life has meaning. Which brings me to Virginia. There's a new... I don't know about the politics of this and I don't care. I don't follow it anymore. But there's this Virginia Democratic Governor, Ralph Nortrum. And he basically said, and I quote, Third trimester abortions are done in cases where there may be severe deformities. They may be a fetus is non-viable. So this is a particular example. If a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. End quote. Wow. So the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother wanted, huh? People always say to me, John, is there any situation... Where you'll support abortion. No. And I don't say this based on opinion. I don't say this based on emotion. I say this on principle. There is no. Because all life has meaning. All life has meaning. And if you accept that, you know what? There is a situation. You're making yourself, or even worse, or more scary in my eyes, you're making someone else a god over who lives and who dies. 
Are you willing to have that decision? Are you willing to make people gods? Because I'm not. Especially the way society is going right now. I want to stand and I don't care if I lose every single battle. I will stand for life. Because I may be an extremist, I may be unpopular today. I may be in the vast minority of minorities. But your right to live is something I will fight and die for. And I will never compromise over. We can disagree on everything else. We can disagree on criminal justice. We can disagree on the Constitution. We can disagree on taxes. We can disagree on free markets. We can disagree on standard of living, on socialism, on, on communism. We can disagree on everything. And I'll go, that's cool. Because that's the great thing about freedom. I actually believe in real freedom. Where you're allowed to disagree. Where I'm not going to make you feel bad. Where I'm not going to compel you to think. Because that's not freedom. Even compelling you to think about a freedom mindset is not freedom. It is a form of tyranny. I won't guilt you into it. I will make my argument based on freedom. But when it comes to life, all life matters. How many, how long will it be till we get to this place in a world where we can finally say this and actually mean it? Because I'm looking at people as they compare Donald Trump to Hitler, saying how Hitler is the worst person that's ever lived. And out of the other side of their mouth, well, abortion's totally fine. You know what? You know, we need to be compassionate, we need to let people die. I'm sick and tired of listening to people talk about how, you know, people with Down syndrome just shouldn't be around. They're just a just a, bent, a cost burden to society. How can we do this? Because here's where my emotions have been all week. What can I say? I'm sure there, if, if you're listening to this, I'm sure some of you have probably switched off when I just John talking about life again. I know what happens. I know it's factually accurate when it, when it comes to the media. When people talk about pro-life issues, ratings go down. I know, I've seen the numbers. I get it, I don't care. How do I make it the case? Not to you if you agree with me. I don't want to preach to the choir. But how can we make a logical argument to people that will touch their heart to go, you know what? All life is precious. All life has meaning. How do we do it? How? How can we make a difference? Because right now you are dehumanizing the individual at a rapid rate. It's now down to, well, if you agree with me, you exist. If you don't, you don't. You're the enemy. I have to beat you. I have to crush you. I have to destroy you. How do we make an argument? This is my question this week. If you know, let me know on... On Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Because, honestly, and this is part of the reason I've been so upset all week, I don't know. I wish I could come to you today with an answer. But, I don't know. And when I don't know, on something like this, I weep. And I feel so sad. Because one thing I can do is talk. And whether I am successful or not, I always back myself to making a good, decent argument. 
that may change one person's heart. But on this, I don't know. I really don't know. This brings me to my next frustration. And it's in a... And what I compared to what I talked about... It's in a minute... Minute small... It's not even a fraction of the concern I have. But... Free market economics. And I actually mean real free market economics. It's... Incredible how... Many opportunities we miss today by making everything about capitalism, socialism, communism... And not actually free market economics... Elizabeth Warren, I think, by people who I trust who give me advice on on politics and who keep me in the loop of exactly what's happening and who the movers and shakers are, because we're only around the corner from 2020, tell me she's running. Again, I don't follow your politics anymore. I really don't care. So I I don't know. Um, Apparently, she had this ad where she drank a beer, and I I saw all the memes, which were hilariously funny. uh, You know, Brett Kavanaugh, hey, now everyone likes beer. Um, But she's out there, and of course... Elizabeth Warren, been Elizabeth Warren, needs to sow hate and division and, you know, needs to destroy people. And she shared a story about how, you know, this there's this evil billionaire NFL owner and how he just paid $100 million for a quote-unquote super yacht with its own IMAX theater. And her tweet was, I'm pretty sure he can pay my new hashtag ultimate millionaire tax See what she did there? To help the millions of yachtless Americans struggling with student loan debt. Why does this annoy me? Why does this frustrate me? Why does this get to me? Because, first of all, let's just deal with the small part of this, because there's two parts. The small part is annoying, and there's the bigger part, the principle of it. The first thing is, if you're struggling with student loan debt, you got there in the first place. No one put a gun to your head and say, you need to borrow money from me to pay for your student loan. The same way no one put a gun to your head to buy a car, to buy a house, to buy anything, to get a loan. You decided. You willfully decided, I'm putting my pen to paper, and I'm going to take X amount of money off of you in the hopes, in the return of X amount of money per month or per week, depending on your repayments. That's what you all did. If you were coerced to do that, Here's a, here's a spoiler for you. That's illegal. If you were coerced in any way, shape, or form, you can take a court case, you can get litigation against the company that forced you or the people that forced you. If you go to a student loan, then it's up to you to pay it. And this may sound cold, this may sound heartless, but I just did it. It wasn't a student loan, but it was a loan for my lifetime. I am now debt-free for the first time in my life. How did I do it? Hard work. Sacrifice. Paying every penny I had free in into that loan to clear it off. Not going out. Not having junk food. Not going out with my friends. Not going to the cinema. Doing nothing. Living the life of a hermit. And literally every penny I had spare at the end of every month went into this loan. If you want to be st- student free of your student loan debts, try that. If you want to be free of your car loan, do that. If you want to be free of your credit card, do that. If you think that all of a sudden paying an ultimate millionaire tax to pay for student loans, you made them. It's your responsibility. Which leads me to second point. 
why are you all of a sudden putting up a tax to pay for student loans? Why would you say that? That's more political. But all of a sudden, of all the issues in the government right now, your government, by the way, has announced that this year, this fiscal year, you're going to borrow another trillion dollars. Maybe if you want to put up a tax, maybe pay off your debt. That would be a, at least that would be an honest discussion. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the premise of how this $100 million purchase for a yacht, you know, how he should pay an ultimate millionaire tax to help the yachtless Americans struggling. The idiocy, whether it's known, whether it's just blatant, I don't care and I'm going to lie to you, and I'm going to take advantage of the American people just so you'll elect me to solve everything, or whether it's just in just ignorance by default. It's ignorance. Because the problem with this is, is that 100 million super yacht did help factually yachtless Americans. To say otherwise is a lie. To say otherwise is factually inaccurate. Let's go through all the people who were involved in that purchase. First of all, now maybe this is true, I don't know what the the job of a salesperson who sells yachts is, but... Do you think the person, the salesperson, had a yacht, his own super yacht? Do you think he had his own $100 million super yacht? And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I have my own $100 million super yacht just there, and it has an IMAX, but, you know, for the day job, I just slum it and sell them. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think the commission that that man or woman earned was key to making and putting food on the table, to maybe investing in the stock market, to maybe, you know, paying a few bills, maybe going on a holiday, maybe paying off some debt, maybe putting a bit aside for their kids' college education funds so they won't have to get student loans. How about the person who is in the admin, you know, who had to file all the paperwork, the transfer of ownership? Do you think they had a yacht? Or do you think because that person bought a yacht that they all of a sudden now guaranteed to have a job a bit longer? Or how about the people in the parts department? How about the people who, you know, do all, you know, warranties? All the people involved in that yacht sales company. But it goes so much further. What about all the people who were were relying on the money, whether it's because of the business of that yacht company? Whether it's the lights, whether it's the heat, whether it's the phones, whether it's the, the, the rent, whether it's the mortgage all those people were jobs are partly somewhat or largely or a minority reliant on them selling yachts to, yes, the ultimate, ultimate millionaires. But it goes so much further than that because we're so economic illiterate by choice or by design today that we don't understand that all the thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs that are needed to make that yacht. It's not like you can, I don't know, you know, hey, Magic 8-Ball, hey, this billionaire NFL owner wants to buy a 100 million yacht for me, just make one up there for me, and then poof, there's a yacht. No, there's a lot of work that goes involved. Just think of a $100 million super yacht and all the jobs that were directly or indirectly affected because this person was in a position, was successful enough through their own hard work to buy this yacht. Think of the steel needed for the yacht. Think of the machinery required to bend and mold that steel to make it into a yacht shape. Think of all the rivets and the bolts. Think of all the paint. Think of all the windows. Think of all the wires needed for all the electricity and for all the cabling. 
Think of the rudders, the propellers. Think of all the metal, all the plastic that was needed. Think of all the the stuff, the chairs that were needed, because obviously it's high-end luxury. Think of all the, the tables that were needed. The beds, the linen, the closets, the toilets, the faucets, the shower. All these people weren't all of a sudden going, well, hey, you know what, I'm making a a share for a millionaire and I should be hated and I have a yacht just like them. Do you think they do? Really? I think they're just average people doing a job and part of their job sells to yacht makers who make $100 million yachts. And then people who are successful get to buy them. Because this person made one purchase, he positively impacted thousands of lives. But that's just going by the yacht. You see, the great thing about free markets is the money flow goes everywhere. So let's just take one example. A millionaire buys that $100 million yacht. Let's say the commission for that. Let's just say outrageous. I don't know what commissions are, right? But let's just say something outrageous. The the salesperson got a $100,000 commission. Well, that's made his job better, right? That's made his life better. But then what does he do with it? All the jobs then he will help create and make. Because he has a hundred grand now in the bank. First of all, he doesn't have a hundred grand in the bank. He probably maybe has seventy grand in the bank because yay, taxes. Taxes are wonderful. And the government gets its thirty thousand dollars off him, even though it got the money from the, the NFM billionaire by him paying taxes. All this money is taxed at every opportunity. But let's say he has seventy five grand in the bank. Let's keep it around in it off even. And let's say he's smart, he puts five grand in, in the, the bank for his daughter or son's education, his college fund. Well, what does the bank do? The bank then has that 5,000 and it's in a fund and it can maybe borrow against it. Or maybe he's invested it in stocks and shares, which helps the stock market go up. Let's say he decided, you know what, honey, it, you know, it's been 10 years since our honeymoon. I, I just made this big sale. I've 75 grand in the bank. I'm going to blow you and spend you on a great holiday. I'm going to blow 10 grand on you. Okay, and you know where he's going to bring her? He's going he's gonna to bring you and the kids down to, to Disney World in Florida, down to the sun. So then you have the airlines, you know, ever if he's got a wife and maybe let's say two kids. Airlines get benefit from that. Then the hotels, the car rental company, Disney, the foods. And then he's like, you know what? Hey, honey, we're in Orlando. You know, Orlando, Florida, where Disneyland is. Let's go to International Drive, baby, and let's go shopping. And then they spend another five grand. You know, they buy a few dresses, or maybe he buys a new suit for work because he hasn't bought one in a while. All those jobs get, all those people in those jobs reap the rewards from that millionaire, billionaire buying a hundred million dollar yacht. And then how about he goes, you know what? Let's, let's invest a bit in the stock market. Hey, let's buy a bit of cryptocurrency. And then that goes up and then other people get it. And then he goes, do you know what? We have a bit of money left from that commission. You know what? I think we'll do a bit of home improvement. You know, we haven't done the kids' room up in a while. Let's get them new beds. Let's get them new bunk beds. And let's paint the house. Let's paint the outside. If it hasn't been done in a while, you get a tradesperson to do it. You go to the local Home Depot and you buy the bunk beds for the kids. Because presumably they're younger if they're going to Disney. I don't know. All these things happen because one person was successful enough to be in a position to pay a hundred million for a yacht. Why do we hate these people? This envy, this greed. I'm sick and tired of people who go, well, you know, that, that NFL billionaire, he's greedy. 
No, no, no. You're just as greedy because you want to take from him. The difference is he invested it. He risked some money and bought a team and made money. You're just greedy because you're like, hey, you have something and I want it. Give it to me. We need to start making the case and understanding how economics, it's not just a one-tip wonder. It affects everyone. Even if he does something simple, like I don't know, decides, you know what, we're going to shop a bit more. You know, we're going to buy a bit more of a luxury product. We're going to buy, instead of buying, you know, basic, now I don't, this wouldn't be up for a salesperson, but, you know, in case he decides, you know, I'm going to buy, instead of buying basic shampoo, I'm going to buy a premium level shampoo. I don't know, I'm going to get my hair cut in a barber's, you know, a couple of times a year. Whatever it is, hey, honey, you go get yourself a massage. All these things have economic benefit. And they're in a position to do these choices, to make these choices. Why? Because a billionaire paid a hundred million for a yacht. So yes, Elizabeth Warren, this NFL owner who paid a hundred million for a yacht actually did help yachtless Americans. And about uh, several thousand of them. The economic impact is impossible to tell, but it's a lot of people. I dare say it's more people helped from this one purchase than everyone if you paid this ultimate millionaire tax. The idea of America is not about taking from someone who has something you don't. It's about gaining and becoming their level. It's like the old story that Ronald Reagan used to say. The difference between a socialist and a capitalist is there two men walking down the street, or two women, and all of a sudden a Jaguar, it's an English story, a Jaguar, or pick your whatever flavor your car that's exotic. A Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Bentley, whatever car that oozes, a Tesla, whatever car oozes like luxury to you. And that car goes driving on by. And the difference in the ideology is, a socialist says, huh, look at them and their Bentley or their Jaguar or whatever you want to call, say, Tesla. I gotta, that's not fair. I gotta get me some of that. It's not fair that he has it and I don't. The capitalist just says, nah, can't be bothered. I'll just go get one of my own. We need to start talking about freedom, about free market economics, and trying to have conversations not based in left and right and Republican and Democrat, but based in just pure economic, simple terms where everyone can understand. Because I don't know about you, but I celebrate this guy being able to earn 100 million, to be in a position to pay 100 million for a yacht. And I celebrate that he did. Because all the jobs it helped create and are helped secure. In life, there are many easy options and there are many hard options. And ultimately, it all boils down to which road do you choose? Which way do you want to go in life? And so many times it's easy to choose the easy path or the convenient path or the path of least resistance. The popular path, the path that everyone else follows, it's just, let's just go along with the flow. But if you actually do some exploring or you look into yourself, you'll find that sometimes the hard path is the path that's needed. And the hard path really sucks. You know, the sad thing about life is, as life, as I was saying earlier on, is precious. It is a gift. Every life has meaning. But in so many ways, life sucks. 
And it's not sucks because of the man. It doesn't suck because of the greedy capitalist and the bourgeoisie. Invariably, it sucks because of people. Because people, especially today, love to insult you. Look, people love to put this strong exterior around themselves where, you know, they go, well, if you hit me, I'll hit you back twice as hard. They love to, you know, well, if you get into a verbal confrontation with me, I'll slice you deep. You know, I get mocked is probably the best word or the nicest way of saying it for, you know, not engaging with the, the hatred. You know, I get mocked for being weak. For not responding to people who, you know, antagonize me. To be honest, I just can't be bothered. I really, it's... If you want to actually be factually accurate about my feelings about when you insult me, I'm just lazy. You're, you're not worth my time, so I just can't be bothered. You know, I have I had several situations this week where people were insulting me, demeaning me, trying to rile me up to get a confrontation, and... Honestly, all I can do is smile and laugh and just walk away. I just don't have it in me. But with the advancement of social media with Twitter, it it makes it easy. You know, I asked someone one day, and I was thinking about this show, I was like, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, just, just for kicks and giggles, you know, if you could, you know, manage me, you know, and sort of, you know, control me, and you said, I want to make your show go big, how would you do it? You know, it's very simple. You know, you're, you know, people like you, you have this accent going on, you know, you're going into the gym, you're starting, you're not good looking, but you're starting to get in better shape. So you're less, less, less appealing on the eye. It's very simple. I just do several things. And I went, what are they? Endorse Trump. Think Trump is great. Talk less about principles and blame the Democrats for absolutely everything in America. If you did those in compelling terms, and actually the audience, you could sell it that the audience actually believed you, and if you could come up with some excuse of why you've changed, sure you may lose a few, but you'd get a lot of other people listening to your show. And I went, that's an interesting conversation. Never going to happen, but it's an interesting conversation. That would be the easy road for me. Likewise... Responding in kind to hatred is easy. It's, it's anyone can do it. You know, put-downs don't even have to be good. Oh, John, you're fat. Oh, John, you're ugly. Oh, John, you're a phony. Oh, John, you're two-faced. Oh, John, you, you're just who you are. You know, I saw two stories this week. Sorry, one story, and a friend actually shared a story with me that I want to share with you. First off, I want to give kudos to someone who... I actually liked in a, in a show, but from his Twitter, I don't think we'd get on very well. Uh, Patton Oswalt. Um, I used to. T- I thought he was pretty funny in King of Queens. I used to love that show many, many, many years ago. Um, but he had a Twitter feud last week, and someone said, uh, um, "You know, I think it was like uh, I just realized why I was so happy you died in Blade Trinity," and he responded, and it got into a back and forth, and. Long story short, he actually decided, hey, you know, I'm going to, you know, the person who was trying to be rude to me, trying to provoke me, I'll look at their Twitter timeline. And then it turns out the guy who actually taunted him was in a lot of health pain, a lot of health problems. Um, 
he had sepsis, uh, diabetic ketosis, and, and a coma. And basically, out of kindness of his heart, tweeted a link to his GoFundMe page. And the man raised, I think it's over 40 something thousand dollars, and he was only looking for five. Because of Patton Oswell looking at his his Twitter timeline, been gracious, been humble enough, and just seeing another person as a person, not as a political adversary, not as someone who maybe voted for Donald Trump and who would disagree with you, just saw a human heart and said, you know what, here's a guy who, you know, as he said, been dealt some shitty cards, let's deal him some good ones. Kudos to you. The world needs more of that so bad. You know, we can agree on everything. But can we not just come together and, you know, love each other? And I know the problem is that there's a problem with when I say that. And the problem is for Christians. Because every time you say this, can we not just love each other? Everyone, what are you, John? Are you a 1960s hippie now? No, I'm actually a Christian who actually read the gospel and kind of went, Hey, love each other. It's simple. Even Jesus like, oh, look, you can't get Ten Commandments. Okay, here's one. Love God, love one another. Simple. Can you do that? No, I don't know. Because when you say love each other, man, you sound like a hippie, man. You're like, ooh, smoking a doobie. Love each other. Yeah, man, free love. No, I don't mean it that way. I mean it as a Christian. I have a disagreement. Kudos to you, Pat Oswald. And the second story was... I was talking to a buddy, a great buddy of mine, and he w- we were talking about stuff online, and he shared a thing that he came across, which was apt what we were talking about, and I want to share it with you. It's a story about a boy and a father, and it goes, there was once a little boy who had a bad temper. His father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper, he must take a nail and hammer it into the back of a fence. So the day, the boy obeyed, and the first boy, day, sorry, the first day, the boy did what the father said, and at the end of the day, went to the fence, and he found 37 nails in it. And the father said, wow, you lost your temper a lot today, huh? Over the next few weeks, it got less and less. It dwindled. The number was 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. And what the boy found was, because he was a young boy, is because he was told to hammer a nail into a fence, he realized that it's quite hard, like, you know, to get the nail and go bang, 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 every time you lost your temper. It was hard work to drive those nails fully into that fence. So he copped on and went, you know what? This is hard work. I want to do this less and less. You you know, quote me, I want to do it the lazy way. And finally, the day came after a couple of weeks where the boy didn't lose his temper at all. No nails. He told his father, thinking, hey, I'm great. Look, hey, thank you so much, Dad. You, you taught me something. I don't have to lose my, I don't have to bang any more nails into that fence. I haven't lost my temper. And then the father said, but that's only the start of this project, son. We got to solve the project. We got to complete it. That's merely the first half. That is merely the end of the beginning, not the end. The father then said, what you have to do is every day that you're able to hold your temper and you do not lose your temper once, I want you to pull a nail out. And the days passed 
And the days turned into weeks. And finally, after a period of months, the boy was able to go up to the father and say, Ha ha, I finally did it, Dad. I finally took out the last nail. That fence over there, where you first had me hammer nails in every time I lost my temper, and then had me remove a nail for every day I didn't lose my temper, it's finally nail-free. The father said, Come with me, son, we got to take a little trip. So the father took his son by the hand, and he walked him over to that fence. And he said, Son, you have learned a lot. You have grown up and matured so much over the last couple of months. I'm proud of you. But I want you to look at that fence for me for a minute. And I want you to be honest. Does anything strike you about that fence? The son was like, what, what, what are you talking about, dad? What, what, what? It's a piece of wood. He's like, does anything strike you odd about that fence compared to every other fence that we have here? The son was confused. He's like, what, what? I, I don't get what you're trying to say to me. What, what, what? And he said, look at that fence post compared to the other fence posts. What's different about them? And he said, well, I, was, I worked on them. I put in nails and then I took out nails. And he's like, yes. He said, here's the thing, son. That fence post and every other fence post is like life. You see, the fence post I told you to work on has a load of holes. The other fence posts do not. What you need to remember is this is exactly like life. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar They leave a welt. They leave a scar that you may not see that goes deep into their soul, just like you did over there on that fence. You may be able to put a knife in a man, or even in a man's back, and eventually you may say sorry and draw it out. But it doesn't matter how many times you say sorry. It doesn't matter how many times you beg for forgiveness. That wound is always there. And then the little boy, understanding the power and the gravity of the situation and the words and the wisdom his father had just shared, he looked up to him and he said, Dad, I hope you can forgive me for the holes I put in you. And he responded, of course I can. That is why, as hard as it can be and as frustrating as it can be, I don't respond. Because... The last couple of weeks have been really hard for me. You know, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I was rejected three times for three different situations by three different people. And it really stung. I get the pain. I'm not saying this for poor me or for sympathy. I'm just saying I know how much life sucks. I I feel the pain. I feel the frustration. I feel the anger. There there are times every day... I want to give up. There are times I want to give up and there will be changes coming in the future. And some of them I'm not looking forward to, but that's the way it has to be. I can't say anything more right now. But there are times I want to give up. There are times I just want to go, you know what, this is so freaking hard. I feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. I get that frustration. But here's the thing. Each of us 
I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, what your job status is, what your age is. We all have problems in life. We are all carrying a cross. We may deal with it better. We may be able to, to soak up the pain better. Some of us may be better at getting up quicker and rebounding. But we're all carrying a cross of some description. I don't want to add to it for anyone. Even my people who hate me the most, I don't want to add to them. I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what you're hap- what's happening. I don't know your financial situation, your family situation, your personal situation, your job situation. So for me just to go, well, you're a moron, you're an idiot. How stupid are you? Or how ugly are you? Or whatever you know, insult I would use. I'm not going to add to it and make your day worse. I'm not going to put a wound in you that you'll never heal from. Or that will take you a while to heal from. And especially if it's a common insult. If I had a dime for every time someone said, John, you're fat. I'd be a rich man, actually. Hey, maybe the, hey, you know, maybe, maybe we need to do reparations. Maybe y'all need to pay me a dime every time y'all call me fat. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Even in a joke. I'd be a rich, rich man. I'd never have to work again. But when you have common insults, it builds up. It's a wound that will never, ever, ever, ever heal. So you can call me weak. You can say, I let people walk all over me. That's fine. I don't. I'm just strong enough and I have control over my body and especially my mind and my mouth that I don't respond in kind. Because most people, when they lash out, they're hurt. Why would you add to that hurtness? Why would you add to it and make it worse and compound it? Just something to think about this weekend as... You're all surviving the polar vortex as you're going through whatever you're going through in life. We're getting closer to spring. Just think about that. Think about how you interact with people on social media. Make life a better place. Don't compound it. Don't put a nail in someone. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern America, have a beautiful and blessed week. And we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your veterans. And most importantly, I salute you, the great American people. Two weeks and I walk among you again on vacation. I cannot waste. By the way, if you're in, I confirmed, I forgot to say this earlier, I'm in Tulsa, I'm in Palestine, I'm in San Antonio, I'm in Houston, I'm in Harris County. If you're in those areas, look out for me. I'll be putting speeches up on de- de- details online. I'd love to see you at some of the events, meet you, have question and answer with you, maybe break some bread. Uh, until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. God bless America and survive the polar vortex. Stay warm, stay safe, and don't go out if you don't have to. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.